listening to On the Road with Mike and Andy, Australia's number one weekly podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies, here to bring an independent voice to truckies right round Australia. On the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. And Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. Go to www.qr.com.au. G'day and welcome back to episode 88, Shut the Gate, of On the Road. This week, Mike goes triple whammy with interviews. Firstly, joined by Graham McFarland from Red Arc to talk about how to safely and efficiently power up your truck or four-wheel drive with 12-volt systems for cooking, charging and more. In That's What You Think, listener Stuart shares with us all the things on the road that can really get up your nose. Later in something to talk about, our American-dwelling Canadian trucker mate Gordo McGill is back to relate his experiences as an ice road trucker. Add to all of that great new music from James Johnston and Adam Brand, plus all the latest from the On The Road newsroom. Time to get that gate opened up again, so... Let's get this show on the road! Yes, get on with it! G'day, I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers, and when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road, but when we're on the road, we're listening to the big rigs on the road. (laughs) This is Simon Smith here from the Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. Truck and radio is what we do across Australia 24-7. Loads of truck and classics every hour. If you'd like to drop us a line, love to hear from you at some stage. Our email address, bigrigradio at yahoo.com.au. Catch it down the road and take it steady out there. The Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. I love to find out about technology and all this stuff. I ran into this bloke, Graham McFarlane. Now, Graham works for Red Arc. He's the New South Wales area manager for Red Arc. A lot of guys are out there doing 12-volt cooking in the trucks. A lot of guys are putting in inverters, microwaves, bloody coffee machines. I've seen one guy with a toaster. We want to find out exactly what you need to do to put some of this stuff in properly, safely and a bit of an idea of how it works and what you can do. And I thought, what better? Get hold of a bloke who knows what he's talking about. Graham from Red Arc, mate. How are you? Yeah, g'day, Mike. Thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. Mate, entirely my pleasure. We met each other down at the Harmony Day. Yeah, we did. Thanks for coming to that and supporting that. I really appreciate you being there. No, thanks. It was a good day for me. Big crowd, a lot of interest. So got the truck there and turned everything on. So we watched a bit of TV on my truck, so which was good. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that ute you've got there, mate, set up with all that stuff in the back. Geez, there's a lot of stuff in there. I, I was very tempted just to drive away with it, but you wouldn't walk away from it. Nah, look, I think it's really good to bring that up because the front end of it really shows guys how to set up a four drive and the back end of it, you know, how do you set up a truck or a caravan. So it's got everything in one place, so it's good. Well, we're going to talk about both of those things. We're going to talk about the 12-volt cooking, but a lot of truckies own four-wheel drives, and I know I certainly do. We like to get out and get a bit crazy on the weekends. And obviously, it's nice to be able to heat up a pie or have a feed or go camping. There's certainly a lot of guys that do it. We'll talk a bit about the four-wheel drives as well, if you don't mind. Yeah, for sure. No, that'd be fantastic. Mate, 12-volt cooking in the truck has become a thing because people are probably a bit over paying $25 for a steak the size of a 20-cent piece. 
Yeah. And the good old mum and pop sort of style roadhouses that we used to get are getting few and far between. Getting a good feed on the road is becoming harder and harder. So they're cooking for themselves in the truck. Yep. Personally, I've got a inverter and a microwave and a fridge and yep. a lot of hard work for the batteries though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and I think that's why Red Arc, we started with that. So Red Arc's just all about managing batteries. Hmm. We've been doing it for over 43 years now. So our background, funny enough, is trucking. Yep. A lot of people actually don't know that. So happy to talk you through a bit of voltage converters, inverters, battery charging for sure. Right. So if I'm going to put a microwave in, you can go to Buddy Kmart and you can buy an $80 microwave, which is like draws 750 watts, I think mine does. Yep. And I've got a 2,000-watt inverter in mine, which I've had wired in. So we need to talk about, I suppose, the safety aspects first. If you Obviously, if you're going to wire an inverter in, it's just not something you can plug into a cigarette lighter, is it? No, it's not. And, and cigarette lighter sockets is a really good example. That's only designed for mobile phones, little products. Mm. The best thing to think about is wattage. Yep. And a rule of thumb we usually use, and it's not the exact science, but is 1,000 watts. So, for example, that 750, you double it, and that's how many watts you'd get an inverter. Yep. So if I needed 1,000 watts, I'd buy a 2,000-watt inverter. Yep. If I needed 700 watts, I'd buy a 1,500-watt inverter. Yep. Obviously, not all of your stuff would be connected through 240-volt socket. And not all of your stuff would be turned on at the exact minute that you need. So, for example, if some guys I have seen have got coffee machines that be running coffee, but they probably wouldn't have their pie up at that point in time. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff, I suppose. Obviously, I use my microwave to heat up the meals, which I keep in the fridge. And obviously, my angle has got a dedicated socket for that in the Kenworth. Yep. With a different end line, too, I might add it sort of screws in rather than just pushes in. So that's actually running off your 12-volt system, which means we're not giving the inverter a hard time. Yeah. So your fridge is running irrespective to the actual inverter itself. So the inverter is only turning on and, you know, running when you're using your cooking in that environment. That's right, yeah. I've got a pure sine wave inverter. Yep. Simply so I can charge my laptop on it and all that sort of thing. There are different types of inverters. I mean, how much do you have to pay to get a good inverter? What is a good inverter? If you're going to buy one, what sort of an inverter we should be looking at? It's really important to understand two things. There's inverters that modulate, which means they cheat to make 240 volts. We call that like noisy or, or dirty power. Yeah. And then we've got pure sine wave, which is clean. Mm. Now, we generally don't sell modified anymore. That's like 1980 sort of stuff. Yep. Today's computers, TVs wouldn't work anyway on a modified signal. So if any of the guys are in the market and they're looking and they see modified, walk away from it. It wouldn't be something a guy would be buying. So pure sine waves, what you're looking for. What it means is the device, when you plug into the socket, won't know that you're in a truck. It'll think it's in the house and it'll actually work. Probably the best way to think about it. So pure sine waves, the way to go. So you can sort of damage some sensitive electric equipment with an inverter if you're not careful. Is that true or it used to be true or is it still true? Or? It used to be true, and that's why I meant by the word dirty. Mm. Dirty is like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like on-off, on-off too quick, and the computer chips, there's actually little IC chips inside power supplies for laptops, for example. They just don't recognise it as being 240 volt. And that's why we just make the comments steer away from modified. There are still people selling it. Obviously, I was in J-Car and Dick Smith for many years, and there are still some modified stuff floating around. Yep. I'd use modified for something that doesn't need clean power, like a tool, for example. 
but pretty much everything we play around with this day, there's a lot of efficiencies with charging. There's a lot of efficiencies with usage. Yep. You're going to find that you're going to need a pure sine wave. And, and even if you were using a generator these days, that would be a big selling point for me. Yep. I would not buy a generator unless it had pure sine waves. So keep away from the modified stuff. Yeah, sure. Just on the charging issue for a moment, there are a lot of guys out there with the 18-volt rattle gun to undo their wheel nuts and things like that, and obviously you've got to charge the batteries. Yep, yep. That's something that should be able to be handled fairly easily by your inverter, isn't it? Yeah, so I'll explain that because I spent a lot of time exactly on that question because tradesmen of all types, Hmm. whether they're mechanical, whether they're plumbers, like everyone's using hand drills these days. Yeah. Forget about the drill itself and it says it's 48 volt or 12 volt or 18 volt. It's not important. Yeah. What's important is I'm charging the battery. So the little box that holds the batteries to charge the battery, flip it upside down Hmm. and it'll actually have a watt value there. So some chargers are not as fast. They'll probably be 200 watts, 300 watts. Hmm. The most common ones are around 500 watts. And I have seen some of them which have got, you know, up to four batteries can get up to a thousand watts. So if I had bought that 2000 watt inverter, it's no issue. Yeah, right. If I'd bought a 1000 inverter, as long as I'm not running something else at the same time, and most Makita stuff will pretty much charge within 40 minutes, mm. fast charge anyway. So you're not sitting there all day waiting for this thing to charge. Yeah. Tell you what, those 18-volt rattle guns are a thing. Very, very, very bloody handy for undoing those 10 studs. Spent five years in mechanical workshops and they make a big difference even on the road. Oh, yeah. Had one in the toolbox in the quad in the Pilbara, mate, and I changed six tyres in one day. Well, it's good for the back too, right? Yeah, three batteries. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Oh, man. But when it's 40 degrees and you want to get it done quick. Yeah, well, most of the time when I'm changing wheels, mate, it's not 40 degrees. It's usually pissing down rain or mm. it's in the night time, you know, and you just want to get the job done fast. That's right. If you've got those little tools, it's easier. Righto, so inverters, obviously, I suppose we need to run the appropriate cable. I mean, obviously, sighting the thing inside the cab or in the toolbox or wherever you want to put the inverter. Yep. And then running the cable down to the batteries, this is something that I wouldn't attack that job myself. I've had auto electricians done mine. You've got to do it right, because if you don't do it right, our inverters, they just won't work. Yep. Say, for example, I was doing a 12-volt job, I'd actually have the inverter as close as I can get to the battery storage so that I'm running the least amount of cable possible between the battery and the inverter. The cabling can get quite thick, and if guys are getting a bit concerned they're paying a lot of money per metre on this cable, you definitely want to be spending the money, and that's where you want to spend it is on the wiring. Obviously, if you put wiring in that's too light, that's where you get heat issues, that where it melts the insulation, ultimately shorts out. Yep, commonly causing a lot of fires, which we don't like. A lot of resistance in there, so obviously it heats up. If I take it one step back, I would always have the conversation, not just about which machine you're going to buy. I would be talking... What fridge have you got? What microwave you got? What tools you got? Mm. And then we sit there and work out what wattage you need. Yes. If you're not too sure, our website will do that for you. Mm. We've got a calculator there and it can walk you through that. Then the, the second part will be, radio. I'm going to make the decision to go for that wattage version. Mm. And then in, in the manual, we're very specific on recommended wiring sizes to use. It all comes down to, I suppose, if you do it once and do it right, then you'll get the value out of it and the satisfaction when you're using it. I know nothing pisses me off more. Yeah. And you spend money on doing something and then you get out and you're at the bush or you're on the road on Tuesday afternoon, you've got all your frozen meals and the freaking inverter doesn't work because something's gone wrong and you can't get it fixed. 
Yeah. I think you're better off to sort of spend a little bit on it and get it sorted out properly in the first place and do whatever you can to make it do what you want it to do down the track in the long term. Well, there's one other aspect you need to think about is wattage. If you put a 2,000, which is quite common, mm. if you go up to the next step, the 3,000, you actually need a licensed electrician to actually perform that work because it's actually a fixed product. All oh, right. I'm not talking about an auto electrician. I'm talking about an electrician. Really? Because we're playing around 240, yeah. So if you actually have an environment where you're putting PowerPoints in as well, yep. when you go and have a look at the electrical standard in Australia, it's actually important to understand that. But, you know, when you deal with a good manufacturer or, or supplier like Red Arc, we're going to tell you that and give you that advice. Yeah. So, Graham, the reason a lot of guys don't put inverters in their trucks is because obviously they're company drivers and they're not going to be in the truck. Now, it costs money to put these things in and they're not easy to take out if you decide you want to take them out. Yep. Getting swapped around. They use the 12-volt clamshells or the King-style pie cookers, you know, the plug into the 12-volt cigarette lighter. Yep. What's your thoughts around that? I mean, there's obviously a cheaper way. So to give you an idea, 18 years I was at Dick Swift Electronics and yep. I just did under five years at J-Car Electronics. Yep. The number one selling product I would have in wintertime, particularly at Central West, is little ovens that go into the cigarette lighter socket. Yep. Now, the idea when we first started selling them, everyone was putting stuff into aluminium foil, throwing on the manifold, yep. driving for a couple of hours, pulling over, then pulling the pie out. And that's how you had your flavoured pie, right? Yeah, yeah. Those products are pretty cool because all they do is they use very low current, plug into the SIG socket, and so it's just like a slow cooker. Yep. And depending on what you're putting in it, a lot of guys would put last night's dinner leftovers into it or... Maybe you have got some leftovers, you've frozen up and you've forgotten they're there and then you go, geez, I need some food for tomorrow's run. You just go to the freezer, literally whack the frozen block into these things. Yeah. And when you get into the truck, plug it in when you're ready to go and you're going to eat in two hours' time and they just slowly simmer away. They're awesome. Hmm. It's probably an easier way to do it when it's not your truck Yeah. or you don't want to spend thousands on an inverter. I'd go down that route, definitely. You can do it also for boiling water. Instead of having a kettle that needs a heap of power in 30 seconds, yep. you can actually get little same sort of principle. They boil over 20 minutes yep. and good for tea and coffee and that sort of jazz. So, mate, yeah, absolutely. If you just go to J-Car Stores or Rotec Marine or BCF, they've all got them. you just got to know what you're looking for. Yeah. And I wouldn't be spending more than 50 bucks for a pie warmer. like The clamshell style one? Yeah, it's a clamshell because all it's doing is the bottom half is where your food sits and it can touch the sidewalls inside it and the top part just lets the heat go around in circles. Yeah. Most farmers you'll find will have it on their tractor. Yeah. Before I went to the inverter, I had a couple of those in the truck and one of the problems I noticed that the wire could sometimes get pretty bloody warm on that. Yeah, do not leave them in 24-7. Yeah. So even the kettle one, you plug it in and you just run it for 20 minutes and then you unplug it. Yeah. They do get warm, but sometimes that's the only solution you've got because it's not your truck, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the worst case scenario is there's a fuse at that plug, the SIG socket, yeah. and there's a fuse in the dash. What you'll do is you'll blow the fuse, yeah. but if you leave it in there consistently, it will create heat around the dash and that ain't good. Yeah. So heat's the enemy. Heat is the enemy uh, created by resistance. Yeah. That's why we use fuses all the time. Yeah. Another idea which is brand new and get onto it is the go block. So Red Arc's actually created a portable power system. Righto. When I was in lockdown, I thought I'd do something because I was stuck for 106 days. Yeah. And 
I've got my fridge down to six degrees and I plugged it in the go block and I filled it with bottles of water. It was at six degrees and it ran for eight days. Yeah, right. And then I thought, people are going to give me a hard time because you don't travel in your living room, right? Yeah. So I took all the water out, put my uh, Waco fridge in the go block out in the sun and it lasted just over four days. Right, so what's this go block thing? So go block's a new invention. That's what Red Arc's all about. Go and have a look at it. It's on our website. So basically, it's a total solution, lithium, 100 amps, and I can charge it from the four drive or the truck while I'm driving. It'll take two hours to charge, yep. or I can charge it through solar. My blankets, I can actually charge it in almost four hours, Then I've got 100 amps usable power, and it's got six socket on it, fridge sockets on it. Great to sleep up in the up if you've got that, if you're camping out, but just another idea that we're presenting to the market. Go block. Go block. Sounds like a good idea. I'm going to have a look at that. Yeah, look, different way of doing things. Everyone's been doing what they call battery boxes, which bit hit and miss some of these things, but we actually make this thing 100%. It's cast iron. You can't break it. We've sold thousands. It's our fastest growing product we've had in 40 years. Yep. We just launched it earlier in the year, but yeah, go block. There's plenty of videos on our YouTube channel about it as well. Yeah, we're talking about truck drivers, though. Truck drivers can break anything, mate. If you dropped it from three, four metres, I can understand something might have a break, but <laughs> she is cast iron. Yeah. The concept is it's designed to be used in the rugged outback. So, you know, when you're fishing, camping, whatever, yeah. we put this thing through the test. So everything at Red Arc, we have uh, the ability to test it in environments. So when we test this thing, we've got this room that shakes stuff, the worst track. If you can imagine the corrugations of the worst track, oh, yeah. they're multiplied by 10. Yep. And we'll shake it under load for 48 hours. Right, eh? We've got another room that goes from minus 30 degrees up to positive 80 degrees yep. while testing this thing. And we can change that temperature over three minutes. Yeah. That's what we do at Red Arc. We just give it, we won't put it on the market if it fails. Without giving Red Arc too much of a plug, but my big caravan that I've only just sold had all Red Arc all through it. Yeah, so did you have a 3000 or a 2000? It had a 3000 in it, the battery management system and a couple of big deep cycle batteries and yep. we could live quite comfortably off the grid for several days. Yeah, that's awesome. We had a couple of 120 panels on the roof. Talking to panels on the roof, when I mentioned I was going to be talking to you, yep. I had a guy say to me, can you put a solar system on a truck? Have you ever seen any of that with someone with a solar panel on the roof of a sleeper or something? Yeah, yeah, look, I have. Guys that are probably away for a long period of time and they're not moving much or they know they're going to get stuck somewhere waiting for a job. I've even seen solar panels on forklifts. It's definitely an opportunity. When you're moving, we use current that the engine's creating alternator. That's where all the power's coming from. So it's not a big deal. Yeah. But if you find that you're in an environment or you're on a job and then you feel like you're going to take a quick three-day detour to have a bit of a break, yep. solar can be your best friend because you can sit still for a long period of time and use the sun instead of turning the truck over. Yeah, well, I've seen lots of four-wheel drives with a solar panel mounted over the front of the roof of the cab, for example. Yeah, when I actually drive, mm. I actually use solar. So one of the things that we've got is green priority. So we'll actually use the sun while you're driving, mm. and then we complement what the sun's giving us with the alternator. Yeah. What that means is I'm not using as much diesel to keep charging the batteries. Mm. So in essence, my vehicle, I can use sun while I'm driving, and then when I stop, park up somewhere, I can use the solar on my roof or I can add multiple solar panels as well. Wow. Well, we're going to throw to a break when you hear from one of our fantastic sponsors and we'll come back because I want to talk to you about setting up a four-wheel drive. Yeah, for sure. Some of the toys we can get to make our camping more comfortable and transfer that to the use in the truck. 
Sounds good to me. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. All right, we're back. And I've got Graham McFarlane with me, the Red Arc guy, area manager in New South Wales. Mate, look at your business card there before, and it's got an address in South Australia on your business card. Are you living in South Australia or something? No, nah, no, what, what it is, and a, and a lot of people don't realise who Red Arc is. Mm. We're actually an Australian success story based in Lonsdale in South Australia. Mm. So our owners, a privately owned business, Anthony and Michelle, they run the business there. They basically were in the business in 1997 and bought it from the previous owner. Bob had passed, and we're basically that address is our factory. All right, eh? So where we're actually making products is in South Australia. And so your Red Arc products are available through what? Red Arc's available through any auto electrical wholesaler distribution network. Yep. So you can get Red Arc products from retailers like Autobahn or, or Repco or Bursons. Mm. But Red Arc products, if I was in the trade, we've got about five distribution networks. Mm. Depending on your preference, like you might have a preference to one of them, and you'd be buying our products at a trade level. Yep. And a lot of the guys driving trucks, they would probably have an ABM of some sort, and they'd probably be buying some cabling, or they might be buying tools from one of our distribution networks. That's where you buy Red Arc from. Righto. Let's get down to setting up the four-wheel drive for the camping trip when we're not trucking, mate. I've gone out and I've bought myself, oh, I don't know, a Ford Ranger or a Mitsubishi Triton or some other twin cab four-wheel drive that I like, and I'm going to chuck a second battery system in it because I want to be out off the grid for a bit, and that's where the fun starts, isn't it? Yeah, so I think what I always do is, before we start talking about Red Arc products, is think about the battery itself. Yep. So I've got a Hilux. I can get away with putting a battery under the bonnet, so I've got an AGM in there. Yep. The size I could fit in there, the biggest was 120 amps, and that's the biggest you'll get underneath in a Hilux. Once you make that decision, then we start talking about the charger. Yep. So most guys' budgets, if they do a simple setup in a Hilux, or maybe it's a Nissan Mitsubishi, you'd be putting an AGM battery they could be ranging from $250 to $450. And then you'd be using the BCDC 1225D, and it lives underneath there as well. What's that? The whole industry calls it DC-DC charges. So direct current is created from your alternator, Yep. and the battery is a DC battery, so DC charging. But we call it a BCDC because we're battery charging from direct current. That's it. So this is the battery regulator bit we're talking about. Yeah, so it's that little black thing that you saw behind the grill in front of the car there. Mm. So basically what it's doing is it's attached physically to your crank battery, the house battery of the vehicle. Yep. 
and it's sensing its ability to use the current that's coming from the alternator to charge that second battery while you're driving. So my second battery, I couldn't fit it under the bonnet. It ended up in the front left corner of the tray under the floor. What our product has the ability of doing is working under low voltage environments. Yep. Now, why is that important? When you run a DC cable, every meter you're losing a bit of voltage. Yep. So all you're doing is getting our DC-DC and moving it with the battery. So if the battery's up the front, charger's up the front, battery's out the back, you put the charger at the back. So in your case, the charger would sit right beside that battery and you'd be running a wire from the, in my case, a Toyota battery at the front straight through to our charger and then the charger's making decisions and it's charging the second battery. So we've got the battery, I've got some Anderson plugs and all that sort of thing in there as well and yeah, because I love the solar blanket, throw the solar blanket out on the bonnet when you pulled up and plug that in and you know, my setup was designed basically off YouTube videos, so <laughs> YouTube's a wonderful thing. Oh, look, there's nothing wrong with that. YouTube's fantastic. In fact, we've got a YouTube channel. I know you do. <laughs> we've got so much there to watch, and yeah. I highly recommend it. If you watch enough videos about the same thing, you pretty much pick up what's going on, and you find how different guys have done it. So if you've got a particular brand for a drive, just get into YouTube, put in your brand vehicle, mine's a Hilux, and then put in BCDC. It's a really good way to narrow down to the actual videos that you're looking for. That way you'll see guys, you know, how did they do it? Where did they put the battery and how do I connect the Anderson plug for this and can I put some SIG sockets in there? I think the biggest thing I would say is just do one thing and that is do your research on the charger itself. Yeah. We will help you with that through the owner's manual, our website. Yeah. Putting again the wrong size cabling can cause a bit of drama and fusing. I love the word fusing. Fusing so important. Putting the wrong fuses means you'll see a guy with the wrong fuses. In some cases, you'll see his canopy go up and smoke. Yep. But putting the right fusing in there, and we're very specific in the manual. The owner's manuals, in layman's terms, it's there to understand what you need to do. And if you just don't feel comfortable, auto electricians, they're everywhere. Yeah. If you don't know where they are, give us a call. We'll get you connected to one that's Red Arc approved. Yep. And those guys know what they're doing. They do this day in, day out. Yep. They know their business and it'll be like set and forget. You will set it up, tell them where you want the six socket, tell them where you want the Anderson plug and away you go. That's basically how I approached it too. I decided what I needed to buy and went and bought it all Yep. and then looked at all the pieces and up until then I was confident I could plug it all together and then I realised how much of the car I had to pull apart to plug it together where I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Even for me, like I love mucking around the vehicle and stuff, but I don't have a lot of time. Sometimes you just, oh, I've got to get that done. Yeah. But if you can drop it off at the auto electrician, you don't even need to worry about buying products because they can buy it for you. So if you just say, I want this, I want a battery, I want a charger, and I want to be able to put my fridge here, they'll tell you what they can get and what price. And it might make life a bit easier for you. And you can just focus on going away. Right. So when you go to work to park the car at the yard during the week while you're away in the truck, you just park it at the auto electricians instead. That's it. Do we have to ask permission from the missus or do we just go to the point where we beg for forgiveness? Is that <laughs> Begging for forgiveness is probably the best way to play that card. Absolutely. Well, I know if you look at my truck, it's got everything. So can you imagine getting all the toys and coming over that for sure? But it's getting it right means 
they won't worry about it when you're away. Yeah. If you get it wrong and it's a week in and the fridge don't work, I had a mate go to Monday Monday last week and he had a setup that he did wrong. He didn't have a fridge all week. So beers were warm. And it's a pain in the ass. Yeah, you have to use someone else's fridge. Like it's just not good. Yeah. So getting it right is probably the most important comment there. Right. So let's talk about our basic system to the point where you can run your 2000 watt inverter in the back of the four wheel drive. Yep. A ballpark figure, plus or minus a million dollars. Yeah. How much do you reckon we're going to spend to do that effectively? Well, there's a couple of things. So firstly, you always talk about the batteries, yeah? Yeah. So when you start thinking about batteries, most guys would use lithium batteries these days. Yep. You would be using lithium batteries, one battery to the thousand. Yep. So in a 2000 watt inversion, most batteries, you would need a pair of them so that the load's shared over the two batteries. Yep. So you could be paying $1,000 a battery <laughs> or up to $2,000 a battery. Wow. Now, keep in mind, batteries have changed. Yep. Back in the day, I'd be buying AGMs. They'd last me three years to five years, maybe seven if I got a good stint out of them. Yep. These batteries, lithium, it's not a consumable item anymore. Most guys will probably use the battery 50% of it at any time. Meaning if it's 100 amps, they might use 50 amps before they start charging again. Yep. That'd be like 5,000 cycles. So if you can picture charging on average in a year once a week, and it does it 5,000 times, I think you'd be changing the vehicle over before you'd be thinking about batteries again. So the conversation just needs to be, if I've got a truck and I'm going to turn it over in 12 months, mm. do I put thousands of dollars in the battery? Probably not. Probably not, no. Throw some AGMs in there, right? Yeah. But if this is my dream truck, I'm going to keep this thing for a decade. I highly recommend signing yourself, get into some lithiums. We can help you out with lithiums on our website. How many million dollars are we spending? That's the question. That's the question. And I think like I could be spending one to two grand in batteries, but keep in mind, that's the center of all this. Yep. That's the stuff that's going to last me a decade. If I don't have good batteries, I don't have any power. Yeah, I get you. But the, I mean, there's all the other stuff as well. There's the inverter and the cabling and the installation. and That's correct. You can buy inverters sub a thousand, five hundred bucks, thousand to two thousand dollars. It's all based on what you're connecting to it. Yep. Yeah, cabling can be. You try to minimise cabling as much as possible by marrying it up with your setup. So when I said before, I'd like to put my inverter nice and close to the battery. It means I'm only using half a meter. Yep. Then you've got the charger itself. The chargers are around five hundred to a thousand dollars, depending on what you want to do. There's two different sorts of battery monitoring systems, isn't there? I was watching the video and I just can't remember now exactly what they were. Yeah. But like for the solar panels and everything. Over the years, we would look at voltage, meaning if I had a battery there and I could see a voltmeter on my dash, mm. we sell them. They're called gauges. Mm. If I knew that the battery was at 12 volts mm. when I'm not driving, I knew I was pretty much bottom end of the battery and I'd need to start charging it. Yep. But if the battery was high, 12.5 means I was halfway through it. And that's how we used to look at battery storage. Yep. But these days what we can do is we can put a product into the vehicle to actually monitor not just the voltage, but also the current going over it mm. and also temperature. And we can actually get some really good algorithms working for us to say, well, in its current state, it's going to last you three days, or in the current state, it's going to last you two hours. Yep. So when you're sitting there camping at night time, you know you've got enough hours left in your batteries, or you go, righty I've got to turn the lights off at 10 o'clock, because if I keep going this way, I'm going to run out of juice before the sun comes up tomorrow. And the fridge won't be working, and the beer won't be cold. Yeah. So with Red Arc, what we do is we try to put a bit of science behind it for you, so that life gets a bit easier. 
So in my car, at any point of time, my screen will tell me how much power I've got yeah. while I'm using all the devices. So it's seven, eight o'clock at night, kids and I are around the fire, we've got lights going, the fridge is going, we might have a TV going, I'll try not to do that, but sometimes that happens. Mm. People are charging up phones and all that sort of stuff and got a live update on my mobile phone telling me exactly what's going on. Yeah, it all marries together. That's one of the things I like about it. I remember... As I say, I don't want to plug Red Arc too much because there are other choices. Yeah, for sure. And we make our choices based on our budget and all this. But I've always chosen Red Arc simply because I bloody well got what I paid for. Yeah, well, we would have had in your caravans a really good example, the Manager 30. Hmm. Well, the Manager 30 is one product, Yeah. but our competitors would be selling you four different things. Yeah. That one box, look, it comes with a price point, but you've got to keep in mind it's actually six different things. And yeah. when you start researching radio, if I want to manage current, I need a shunt. Mm. I can buy a shunt pack for 400 bucks. I've got a beautiful little screen. Yep. A little thing sits on the battery, and I can tell exactly where my state of play is when the batteries. Well, that's inside the manager 30. Yeah. I might want a power supply to plug into a caravan park because sometimes you'll pull up to a caravan park. They've got a power point. Yeah. Then how about I use their power instead of using my batteries? Well, that manager product that's actually got the fly leader, you just plug it into the power point. Control panel was mounted just inside the door. Yep. And I could just stand there and I could work out what was going on. It was all there. It was all easy to understand. And as I say, it worked well for me and I was very happy with it. Obviously, going back to the truck, if you put a, a setup in your truck and you want to use various things, the microwave, the coffee machine, the toaster, I've seen toaster ovens. Guys, I love an air fryers now. Yep. All this sort of stuff you can have running in the truck. It's a little bit nicer than what we used to do with the cooking in the front of the toolbox on the lead trailer. And you're in the cab, comfortable, you're not getting the flies all over you, and you can do it safely. That's the most important thing, isn't it? If I walked up to your caravan and you said to me, Graham, she's not working, I'll go, yeah. what have you done? The answer's always, I did nothing. Yeah. But I can go up to the screen and, and I can actually look at it and go, what did you do yesterday at 10 o'clock? And you go, oh, I disconnected the batteries because I needed to move something around. And well, there's my answer. And then I know exactly how to fix your problem. Funny you mentioned that. I had an issue where we couldn't get the batteries to charge. And uh, I read Ark on the phone. The guy explained to me how to fix it over the phone. <laughs> yeah, so we're only a small team. People don't realise this, but, you know, we're only a small team, but there's pretty much two of me in every state, yeah. two in New Zealand, four in America. We've got a team in Europe as well. But we've got a call centre in Adelaide, which follows the sun of Australia, and it means you've got someone to call. So you're going to get one of our qualified either engineers or auto electricians on the phone yeah. when you call 1300 Red Arc just so, hey, this product's mucking up, what do I do? Yeah. We don't answer the phone call and go, hey, when did you buy this product? We just go, hey, what's the problem? And you just tell us what the problem is. I have got to say that that was my experience as well. It's one of the reasons why when I saw you there, I thought, oh, God, I can get this guy to talk on the show about truck batteries and things. I had old mate going through Burke. Oh, geez, a few months ago, and he called the phone. And it got to me, yeah. and I was talking to him. and said, what's going on? And we, we did a bit of Q&A. This is happening, that's happening. And I diagnosed that, all right, I feel like I want to replace a part for him. So I said to him, where are you going? Because what I want to do is I'm going to fly a part into an auto electrician that's on your path yeah. and get him at my cost to replace it for you. We eventually worked out, he's going all the way up to Mackay. So, all right, so I worked out, Kai, auto electrician, I flew up a part to him, and by the time the customer had gotten to the site, the auto electrician was expecting him. We booked in a time yep. and was in for 30 minutes. We replaced the part who was on his way, that they were having a great experience with their Red Arc products. So. I've had a great experience with Red Arc. Thanks for coming on the show and having a talk with us, Graham. I really do appreciate it. 
Yeah, that's fine. And if you're on the roads and you see a red arc, you will know us because our number plates are either going to be red arc. I'm red New South Wales. We've got red Victoria. We're on the CB. You'll see on the back that I've got the numbers I'm transmitting on. If you want to have a chat while you're running, just give me a holler. Yep. And uh, we're probably heading in the same direction for the next couple of hours. I go all over the state. I spend most of my time outside of Sydney, but I live in Sydney. But have your chat or call the guys at 1300 Red Arc. Yep. Jump on the website and have a look. What's the website? Redarc.com.au. Of course it is. Love your work, Graham. Thanks for joining us on the road, mate. Thanks for having me, Mike. Appreciate it. Over there, Andy. Yeah, Mike, got you go. Mate, we're coming up that level crossing we were talking about before. Looks like we're going to be stopping. Roger that. Look at the size of that thing. They tell me they take about two k's to stop. That's like 20 times the length of the MCG. Would want to be playing chicken with that. Yeah, copy that. They can't exactly swerve either, can they? They're stuck to the tracks, mate. <laughs> it's not that hard to wait till it's safe to cross and make sure the road's clear on the other side. Yeah, not like that bloke last week who forgot about the length of his trailer. Yeah, I heard about that one. It's not really funny, though, when you think about it. Poor old train driver. Probably been having nightmares ever since. Yeah, I reckon. We're all in the same boat, really, mate. Everyone just wants to get home safe at the end of the day. Yeah, not wrong on that one. There goes the last carriage. Looks like we're safe to head off now. Thanks, Mike. Long way to go. After you, old mate. This is a message from Queensland Rail reminding us that it's important to stay alert and obey any signs and signals when approaching level crossings to help keep you and everyone else safe. For more information, go to www.qr.com.au. Kermy here from Trucking with Kermy. I listen to On the Road podcasts every week on the Australian Big Rigs Road Show. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with Kermy on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there, and in the meantime, take care of you. Way back in episode 66, we chatted with Aussie country music superstar James Johnston. Hot off the press, we've got his latest single to play for you this week. Here's James Johnston with Country Boys. Dirt bikes on weekends and trucks we take drifting. Yeah, that's what we call toys. Old boots and blue jeans, no, there's no mistaking. We were country boys. No city inside, dirt road for miles. Yeah, it was a hell of a life. We were building bonfires on Friday nights. We were chasing around them girls we liked. We were just some kids hanging out in the middle of nowhere. We were spending summer swimming in that creek. No, we didn't have much, but we had all we needed. And it wasn't our choice. I'm thankful I was one of them. We were 
Johnston here, and you're listening to On the Road with Mike and Andy. It's time for That's What You Think. You know how I love to get people to ring me up and tell me what they think on the road? I got a phone call earlier in the week from my old mate Stuart here, and he said, I want to come on and have a bit of a chat about stuff that I see going on up and down the road things that tick me off, things that grind my gears. And I said, mate, no worries, I'll talk to you. Well, here he is, Stuart. How you going, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Yeah, yeah, good. What was sort of annoying me, like I don't do the big miles that I used to when I was doing sort of like, you know, 200, 250,000 Ks a year, but hmm. I was still doing 70, I suppose, 70 or 80,000 Ks a year. And, hmm. and the stuff that you come across, you know, like road accidents and stuff like that, like what really ticks me off is when there's been an accident or, or there's been like some form of an incident and the, the car, the relic just gets left on the side of the road and it could get left on the side of the road for weeks. Yeah, yep. It's a road hazard. It's, there's a million different things, and I just don't think it's good enough. It's not like we're short of tilt trays in this world. Like, you know, every second truck you pass is a tilt tray. That's right. So I can't see why there can't be some form of policy change or whatever. I realise it's something to do with insurances and all that sort of bullshit, but, yeah, it's just not good enough. I'm not sure it is to do with insurances, you know, Stuart. I reckon that they just leave in there because no one can take the responsibility to organise it. You know, no one says, well, we need to correct that. It is a safety hazard. And as you say, you'll see these things. There'll be a car sitting there one day, and then the next day you drive past and there'll be a little bit less of it sitting there. Maybe someone's decided <laughs> the wheels are all right, so they take the wheels. Yeah. And then you, you drive past it the next day and the boot lid's up or the hatchback's open and there's a window smashed. And then several days later, you know, the bonnet's up and just buddy's sitting there and maybe the door's open or something like that. And then not long after that, someone throws something in there and sets the bloody thing on fire. Yeah. We have this running joke at work, like you see a car on the side of the road, the plates are still on it. So you're thinking, oh yeah, no one's going to touch it. The plates are on it. Yeah. The plates get taken off it and then the next day the window's smashed yeah. and then it's like, bang, fair game. <laughs> yeah, that's it, isn't it? And then everyone's into it. You know, it's just like vultures around a carcass. No one says anything. No one does anything. You know the thing that entertains me the most about this, Stuart? The fact is they've all got vehicle identification numbers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You've got a way to work out who the last owner was. And if they haven't transferred to the next owner, well, that's another issue. Yeah. You know who the last owner was because it's all tied through the registration. Doesn't matter which state it is. We key in the vehicle identification number. Yeah. Our police can find these murderers in five minutes on a one-hour show on TV. 
surely you can punch in a vehicle identification number and come up with who the last owner of the vehicle was. Yeah, that's exactly right. Have the police or the road services send them a notification saying we're removing this vehicle in X days. Yeah. Or you can organise for it to be removed within X days. Yeah. And if it's not done, you're getting the bill. That's exactly right. Like, how hard can it be? You could give them a couple of days grace or whatever and say, righty yep. you've got two days to remove this vehicle. If you want to choose to ring up your mate and get a tandem trailer and hook it up and go and grab it or whatever, that's great. Yep. But if you don't, we're going to use this XYZ towing services. He's going to charge you bloody 500 bucks and you're going to pay for it or we put on spur or whatever. That's just the way it should be. Yep, that's right. And the hazard gets removed and that's it. Yeah. There was a bloody freightliner, Argosy, and a trailer off the side of the road off the Yerm Highway south of Norellan there. Yep. Off the side, down the scrub. Oh, they was sat there for bloody near a week. Yeah, you know, went through the Armco and down over the side and you could see the back of the trailer from driving down the road. The issue with that is, is that someone who doesn't normally drive along there sees that and they think this bloke's just had an accident, falls over, rushes down there and creates risk to themselves and then causes potentially a risk on the road where they're parked and chucked the hazard lights on and all the rest of it, all in the misguided belief that this has just happened. Yeah. It's an unnecessary risk. You mentioned that to me the other day. Yeah, that's exactly my issue. Like the other night, you know, going over bloody Mount Lindsay because I'm a bit of a nocturnal animal, Mm. going over Mount Lindsay bloody 2 a.m. in the morning, and I come around the corner and my lights just picked up something over the edge of the embankment. I'm thinking, what the bloody hell is that? Yeah. And as I got a little bit closer, oh, it's a car. Yeah. Yanked on the brakes, but by the time you stop, you're 200 metres down the road, and Mount Lindsay, there's nowhere to pull over. Hmm. So you're basically just parking on the lane with your hazards on. Yep. Then you run back up the bloody road, jump down the embankment onto the back of this car. It's a bloody Toyota Hilux upside down over the embankment against a tree, and you see this little tiny, tiny bit of police tape stuck to the wheel. And for the next 50 minutes driving down to Cuyahoga, my bloody heart's bloody thumping out of my chest. Yeah. And it's not the first time. It's, this has happened to me dozens of times, and I'm sure there's plenty of other blokes out there that's happened to dozens of times as well, mm. especially if you're travelling some of these back roads and stuff like that that aren't massive amount of traffic on them. And you're thinking, that could be your kid or it could be, you know, your brother or something like that in that car. So you're going to stop and check it because, you know, you don't know what it could be. But the truck's parked out in the middle of the lane, so... If another car comes roaring around the corner, there's a chance that they could hit the, the back of the truck yeah. or could run me over or something like that while I'm bloody running up the road in the middle of the night. Creates a road hazard for you to go back for no good reason. Yeah, for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, that's why it's got to be done, though. I wonder who makes the decisions about this, this sort of stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Do you think the police would make the decision about it? Surely they would. Yeah, I've only just sort of noticed it's getting more and more prevalent, like in the last probably maybe five, ten years. Hmm. Before that, you never really sort of seen it. There was an accident and the car would get cleaned up pretty well straight away. But now it's just, they just sit there until the vultures pick them apart. Be interesting to see tomorrow when I go back over Mount Lindsay if the bloody Hilux is still there. But it always amuses me, though. You used to sit out on the Nullarbor all the time. There'd be a car stopped on the side of the road or upside down in the scrub or something like that. And you come back later, no wheels. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, it's an interesting thing. I wonder what anyone else thinks about it. I'm sure that we're not alone, Stuart. Yeah, you guarantee that, yeah. No worries, mate. Well, you keep it safe out there, and we'll catch up with you, I suppose, down the track somewhere. Yeah, you too. Good on you, mate. Talk to you later. Line number one, you're supposed to have it all together. When they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them, never better. We just wanted to stop by for a moment and say, g'day, how are you? No, I mean, how are you, really? 
Physical and mental health is a significant issue for the Australian road transport and logistics industries. Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Take care of yourselves. We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well. For all the latest industry news, go to www.bigrigs.com.au. Howdy, Mike. Bit damp up here north of the border, mate. How's it down your way? Well, mate, I'm down in the yard in Port Canberra and we've got a river of water running across the yard. I actually nearly got bogged in our, in our trail yard. So it's just hammering down down here, mate. Mm. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Well, there's more to come, I believe. So we're batting down the hatches. I've been out to council and got a ute load of sandbags and I've sandbagged up the back ready. Yeah, I saw the video of your place last time you got a bit of water. You weren't pretty in your thongs and your dressing gown either. No, no, I don't scrub up well like that. Well, I was actually thinking of charging the neighbours and people going past to come and have a look at the waterfalls. Yeah. Yeah, mate, you might not know this, but I'm a pretty good at doing impersonations. Oh, yeah? Yeah, my best one is actually impersonating a flamingo. Oh, right, eh? And my wife tells me it's ridiculous and I should stop doing it, so I had to put my foot down. <laughs> uh, I can't cope with it, you know. <laughs> so I was talking to the guys in New Zealand, they said you nearly redeemed yourself with your dad jokes. You can't do that. Unreal. <laughs> I've got a reputation to maintain. That's right, you do. Anyway... Mate, following weeks of stop work action and tough negotiations, the union truckies at the car transporting business Auto Care have achieved the result they wanted. Yeah, well, it seems Auto Don't Care turned into Auto We Do Care. Mm. And they negotiated a deal with the owner-drivers and there's a lovely picture of them there on the bigrigs.com.au webpage. They're all happy with their fists in the air and all the rest of it. TWU boys are happy. Mm. Uh, more than 100 auto care workers in Queensland and Victoria, owner-drivers had parked up and walked off the job. So it's not amazing what happens when you walk off the job and they discover that they do actually need you. I might have to try that with you one day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See where that gets me. Yeah, that's right. It'll get you an extra pie, maybe. Yeah, good eh? The driver said the current rate of $1.70 was no good to them. They wanted it was going to be cut back to $1.65. Yeah. They had been asking for $1.94, but the car company was balking on that. Mm. And we don't know what they, in fact, got because the offer and uh, the agreement to it has remained undisclosed. But a good win for the auto care guys. Well done. Yeah, nice to hear a happy ending. Yeah. Mike, it's only a week and a bit until the 2022 Mac Muster and Truck Show in WA, and it's looking like it's going to be bigger and better than ever. Yeah, mate, it is. I was talking to Matt Lawrence the other day. He's one of the conveners of the festivities, and we're going to be recording with him a little bit for next week's show to talk about the Mac Muster and that. Right. And I have a bit from Yogi Kendall as well, because he's going to be emceeing the event. Smarter than the average bear. Master of Ceremonies Yogi, yeah. Even old mate Sludge is going to have a few words about it as well. It's like an Outback Truckers reunion. It'll be a cavalcade of Outback Truckers. You know <laughs> the thing that cracks me up most about those two fellas having a comment about the Macmaster? Mm-hmm. 
neither of them drive Max. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Funny that, isn't it? Anyway, mate, it's not just a Max show, though. It's, it's a show for everyone. It's going to be a great event. I had been invited to go and attend the event. And of course, where am I? On the other side of the country. I can't seem to make it to a truck show, mate. Yeah, and from this point on, you're hearing to be known as wrong place at the right time, Oz Trucker. <laughs> That's me. Mm. <laughs> anyway, there you go. We'll be talking about it on next week's show, the MacMaster in WA. Be there or be square. If you're in WA and you're not there, you're going to be missing out. Yeah. Mate, as from this week, the NHVR has begun a three-month trial across Tasmania using cameras to detect passing heavy vehicles. Yep, they sure have. Do you think my brother's not upset about that? I'm sure he's thrilled. <laughs> he's absolutely stoked. He said, well, what's happening? He's, I said, well, we've been getting this on the mainland for ages now, mate. Mm. And he said, well, he's going to wear his sunglasses. He reckons he's going to put on his fish costume. <laughs> Maybe he'll be able to slip on through, he reckons. I think he's stealing lines from Convoy himself, but anyway. Just a bit, yeah. The NHBR-branded mobile automatic number plate recognition cameras will be deployed in Victoria and South Australia as well. So it's not just Tasmania. Oh, okay. The cameras will help them to obtain information to enhance safety and compliance officers' activities. Big Brother is going to be watching us all, as they have been for ages, but now they're just not hiding the ball anymore. Yeah, same, same, different place. That's exactly right, mate. The names have changed, but the game remains the same. And nobody's innocent. No, (laughs) I'm not. A Brisbane-based freight company has been fined almost $32,000 in penalties by the Fair Work Ombudsman for underpaying two of its workers. Yeah, they have. And look, it's about time some of this stuff happens. I've had long conversations with people like notably Trevor Warner and that about this sort of stuff. Mm. And it did seem that Fair Work had no teeth and they couldn't enforce any of these things. But we shall see what happens, I suppose. Mitch McAlpin cooperated with the Fair Work Ombudsman with the failure to comply and the compliance notice. He said he was inadvertent due to extreme pressure and time constraints associated with COVID-19 lockdowns. Well, I don't know. How hard is it to pay your workers properly? Mm. And what's COVID-19 got to do with doing the payroll? I don't understand that. Mm. No sympathy from Alpine Fresh Proprietary as they call themselves. They've got an obligation to pay their workers properly. They've been busted not doing it. Now they've got to cough up, and that's the way it should be. Yep. Not hard. Pay your workers what they're worth. You'll keep them. Yeah. In a letter sent by 11 trucking organisations to the Prime Minister, truckies are warning that households will be paying $20 extra per week for groceries due to the cutting of the fuel tax credit. Yeah, well, what effectively is, is that it's an unintended consequence. Mm. We had this beautiful piece of legislation from the government to reduce the cost of excise on fuel. But when they did that, a bit of collateral damage was that, in effect, it buggered up the fuel tax credit. Mm. Now, what was happening was a lot of companies were using that fuel tax credit as sort of a compulsory savings scheme, I suppose. They did their business activity statement and they got their fuel tax credit for the diesel that they'd burnt. They'd used that to offset their GST and basically that money was there and it was known to be there. This was the scheme that old mate in last week's news was caught rorting for like $3.8 million, right? Yeah. Yep. The short story of it is, is they're saying that it's going to cause an increase of 20 bucks a week in the groceries, and that just effectively wipes out the $700 or so that the average household will save on fuel over the course of the year. Yeah. Typical government, knee-jerk reaction, unintended consequences. The people that they're trying to help, in effect, actually get hurt, and no one actually wins. 
what they've done is they've robbed the trucking industry. Mm. Now, I will say that that story didn't come from big rigs. That one's come from the Sydney Morning Herald, and I was just reading the webpage and found that one out there. So they won't find that one on the big rigs webpage, but they will find it if they look. Mm. It is out there. Cam Lumsden shared that with me from Western Australia. So it's out there. If you want to go and find it, have a proper read. Indeed. And on the subject of big rigs, Mike, not really news, but you found a good little piece this week written by the bored neurotic housewife. The bored neurotic housewife is actually a coalition of ladies who their other halves are out working on the road. Actually, a whole bunch of bored neurotic housewives. There's a whole bunch of bored neurotic housewives. Would you call that a herd? Is it a herd of bored neurotic housewives? Or? A herd of housewives? I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to get on the wrong side of these girls, mate. They, they know who I am. <laughs> Could be like crows. It might be a murder of bored neurotic housewives. Yeah, well, it'll be a murder of mix if they get hold of me and I've said the wrong thing. <laughs> I know that's what it'll be. Yeah, well, they know where to find you. They don't know where to find me, so all good. <laughs> that's all right, mate. I'll give it up under interrogation. <laughs> if I'm going down, buddy, you're going down. I'm taking you with me, yeah. They've written, I think, the headline is, Trust Doesn't Come Easy, It's Earned. Mm. How can you argue with that? No, you can't. It's just true. It is. Makes you wonder sometimes, doesn't it, they say, just like a 13-year-old, that's for sure. So much is presumed, then assumed, and take it for granted and also dismissed. Tony Sheldon's infamous 100 people surveyed not gave him the idea to imagine his RSRT. Mm. Maybe that's a clue why it was cocked up, Tony. I don't know. Could be wrong. We've got a lot of heavily funded health and wellbeing organisations. There's a lot of things that are going on in the industry without a lot of consultation. Mm. And they point out to do the drivers trust the trucking associations. Most do to a point, but they make the point that others definitely don't. Mm. And even though to the partners it's clear on the big end of town is catered and curtailed to, it's all ivory tower syndrome. Get on the Big Rigs webpage. You'll find it there in the opinion section, the Board Neurotic Housewife. They've penned a few things now. Get onto the search bar and put in Board Neurotic Housewife. You'll be amazed at the things they've written and the opinions that they have. It's very hard to folder any of it, in my view. If you're going to search it, make sure you're doing it on the Big Rig site and don't go Googling Bored Housewife because you could get something entirely different <laughs> what you're looking for. Mm. The Bored Neurotic Housewife is a pen name for the group of truckies' wives and partners who see firsthand the stress and illness our drivers are affected by and they pick up the pieces and put them back together. That is true. Where would we be without our partners when we're on the road? It's like that song says... The one by Jane and Tony. It ain't easy loving someone who's always on the road. But I take your heart with me everywhere I go. I just call to say I miss you. Girl, you're always on my mind. Here we are again. Yeah, when you're out there and you're trying to do your job on the road, you rely on the love of your life at home to take care of everything. The bill's got to get paid, things go wrong with the house, things go wrong with the kids at school, and they're the ones that are left there. And we sort of rock home on Friday night or Saturday morning, and, you know, we want all peace and light and all the rest of it. Mm. They've had a crap week, we've had a crap week, and sometimes we just need to understand they do see a hell of a lot more than we think they do. 
I would say to you fellas, cut your wives a little bit of slack and give them a hug and buy them a bottle of wine and a rose or something when you go home. And chocolates. <laughs> Mike, thought for the week? That hit me. Arguing with your spouse is a bit like trying to read and understand all the terms of use on the internet. In the end, you just give up and say, I agree. That's right. Exactly. Yep. You do. There you go. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, keep the floaties on and paddle safely. I'm going to try and get out of this yard now, mate. It's looking a little bit sloppy. It's like the top of a bowl of wheat mix in here at the moment. It's ridiculous. Yeah. All right, Catch you later. All right, buddy. See you in the soup. On the Road News is brought to you by Big Rigs, Australia's national road transport newspaper. Just a quick word about our sponsors. Go to our webpage, www.ontheroadpodcast.com.au and you can see who the friends of the show are. And if their products are something that you are interested in or something that you may need, please support them because they support us and they bring our show to you. G'day, guys. It's Tone from Tone's Trucking Stories here and you're listening to the On The Road Podcast on the Australian Big Rig Road Show. My mate Gordon McGill has driven on the ice road, so we're going to have a quick chat about that. Before we even get started on that, have you seen that movie Ice Road with Liam Neeson in it? I have not, sir. No. Save yourself the pain. (laughs) Well, I was on the ice when the first season of Ice Road Truckers was filmed in 2007. Yep. And I saw a few episodes of that. And I don't want to speak for everybody that was up there on my particular ice road. However, mostly negative reviews. And if you meet anybody that actually ran the ice, none of us have liked the TV series and I'm assuming the movie either. (laughs) Well, the first part of it, you know, I mean, you know how when you know what you're looking at and you see something in a movie that's clearly wrong. Yeah. You appreciate that they're not making a documentary. Correct. Yes. But in the opening sequence, this is within the first several minutes, they've got Liam Neeson driving along and they're showing the interior of the truck as he's driving and he's holding on to a Kenworth steering wheel that's got a Kenworth badge right in the middle of it. And he pulls up out the front of this trucking depot and he gets out of a bloody NL Volvo. <laughs> and I thought, this movie's ruined already. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, the movie's got a great cast and it really should be good. And I was looking forward to it. And then they had one truck go through the ice because someone put petrol in the diesel and it broke the truck, as it would. <laughs> they all stopped. And they, I thought there were rules about going on reverse in the ice. You're not allowed to reverse on the ice, are you? I don't think you are. <laughs> and they backed these two trucks up and they tried to tie them together to pull the other one out. And then they rolled two of them. And then they had these hydraulic winches on the back of these Kenworth Prime Movers that worked perfectly well without the motor functioning. And they stood two trucks up on the ice. And I just thought, oh, mate, I can't watch this shit anymore. I really can't. <laughs> yeah. I will relate to you something that encapsulates the entire drama here. Yeah. So one day my old man rings me up. Yeah. And he says to me, Have you seen this TV show, Ice Road Truckers? And do you know any of these guys? Yeah. I said to my dad, I said, yeah, I sort of know three of them. I've seen them around. Yeah. 
and, but I haven't watched the show yet. Yeah. And my father had been watching it, and he says, Gordy, I wouldn't let any of these fucking clowns drive my lawnmower. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oh, look, I don't want to take the piss out of them. We all know that the producers of these shows, they want to get the most exciting parts of them. Let's face it, you and I have both sat behind the wheel for many years, and it's 99.999% boredom and routine. Yeah, 100%. And 0.1% sheer terror. <laughs> sure. So I did four seasons on the ice. Yeah. And if you talk to anybody that's been up there, yeah. they will tell you exactly the same thing you've just said. It's boredom. Yeah. The primary skill that you need to come up and run the ice season after season is the ability to overcome boredom. Yeah. Because you're only doing 25, 30 kilometers an hour going north. You know, they have the hammer lanes coming south. Sometimes you can do 60, whatever. But, like, it's just tedium. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. The scenery is amazing. Yeah. It's subarctic tundra. You see caribou. You see ptarmigans and arctic foxes, and you see the northern lights almost every night you're up there. Yeah. It has its charm. Yeah. However, it is a grind. Yeah. And you're working 18 hours a day, and you're just sat there and sat there and sat there. And if you cannot deal with boredom, you will not succeed in being an ice road trucker at all. You have to figure it out. Is it good money, though? It was, and full disclaimer, I haven't been up there since 2009. Part of the reason I haven't been back is because the first TV show that they made about it kind of ruined it. Yeah, right. A few people who continued going north after I stopped had mentioned that increased the number of health and safety managers at the mines, checking your logbooks and yeah. getting in your face about things. It wasn't sort of like the freewheeling, like, oh, you're out in the middle of nowhere and you get to do what you want kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is to an extent, but they also, because of the TV show and the impression it gave to the public and the government and everyone else, yeah, they really tried to, like, clamp down on what was happening up there. A lot of the older guys that were really good at it made money stopped going. Yeah. And then also market forces interfered with it. So when the TV show came out, now everybody down south has heard about it. Yeah. Lots of people sent their resumes and their CVs north to the companies that ran on the ice. And it just led to rates coming down. And way too many people wanting to try it out, give it a go. Yeah. To borrow an Australian phrase, to give it a crack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's have a crack. Yeah, give something a crack and fair play to anybody that wants to. I'm not going to discourage them or say that's a bad thing. Yeah. However, once the secret got out, maybe it wasn't the best paying job in the world anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's like what happens with the outback here. It used to be really good. When I was carting mining gear up into Cooper Basin and running around out there, it was really good money. But then everyone started doing it and it lost its charm, you know? Oh. But the question, I suppose... 
We love the way they do all their little graphics on Outback Truckers and on any of these trucking shows or any of these other job voyeurism shows. You know, if he goes over this narrow bridge just this little bit too quick, it's going to end up in the drink and they have the line drawing figure falling into the water and all that sort of thing. <laughs> How dangerous is it to drive across the ice? It's not. You hear the ice cracking under the truck. What happens? So here's the deal. It's not dangerous. They go through the ice occasionally, though, don't they? Occasionally. However, the occasionally is so rare, and it usually happens at the beginning of the season. The ice roads in Canada, and there are a number of them, I can only speak to the two that I worked on. Right, I. But for the most part, after Christmas, so late December, early January, they go out and they start plowing the snow off because the snow on top of the ice insulates it and prevents it from becoming thicker. Yep. They'll plow it off, let the wind get to it. When it gets to a certain minimum thickness, they start letting trucks go on it, and then the trucks make it thicker. So the truck pushes the ice into the water, and then it cracks, and then the ice picks back up, and the cracks suck up all the water underneath it, and then freeze, and then they gradually make the ice thicker. Yeah. There's some engineering to this, and it works. Yeah. So most of the incidents, most of the accidents, most of the very small number of people who've been hurt or killed due to ice has been early in the season before a bunch of trucks are up there hauling to wherever they're hauling. Yeah. So it's really not that dangerous. The whole idea of hearing the ice cracking. So like if you're driving along the ice and you roll the window down and you hear it cracking, that's actually a good sign because you don't want the ice to be too hard that it doesn't or too brittle that it doesn't. When you hear it cracking, that means the ice is healthy. And that means that underneath you, those cracks are filling up with water and then refreezing and making it thicker. Yeah, so you end up with a wave in the ice, though, don't you? I've been told that you can see a wave in the ice in front of you sometimes. Well, no, you can't see it. It's underneath the ice. Yes, there's a pressure wave. So basically, when the truck is traveling across the ice, the ice deflects. It sinks down into the water. Yeah. And then ahead of you, there's a pressure wave that goes ahead. The pressure wave is not as much of a problem as they say it is. Mm. It's only a problem like if you're meeting other trucks. But like when you're meeting other trucks coming south or north or whatever, you slow down. They have it down to a science. Yeah. It's nowhere near as dangerous as they say it is. Of course. So I suppose there's a certain level of etiquette between the guys that are working up there too, isn't there? I mean, there are rules, unwritten rules. There's rules written and unwritten, and there's a camaraderie that develops between the guys that go up there all the time, right? Yeah. And this is one of the things that the television show Ice Road Truckers will not tell you nor the companies that work up there will tell you, mm. is that that TV show interrupted the etiquette. Mm. And one of the etiquettes is that, like, there's a game you play. Mm. The guy who hauled the highest number of loads on the ice yeah. in any season ever is actually a Kiwi, this fellow named Gavin Smith. He's a very good friend of mine. Yeah. He's a legend. He ran the ice for, like, 12 years. He's an older fella, and he put all the young guys to bed, but he had the mathematics of running the ice figured out. 
Yeah. What's the minimum or maximum number of hours they give you to run from the yellow knife to the mine where they won't give you any shit because they mark your time when you leave the yellow knife. They mark your time when you leave the meadows. They mark your time at Lockhart. They mark your time at the mine. Then they mark your time going back. Yeah. And he figured out what the maximum or minimum amount of times were that he could operate without arousing any suspicion <laughs> and figured out that he could just go hard as long as he did certain things. And he just ran circles around everybody else. And he slept three or four hours a day. And he just kept going and going. He just figured it out. And it's a game. And all the old timers that ran up there that were hauling fuel to the mines because you're getting paid by the load. Yeah. You're not getting paid by the hour. You're not getting paid by the K. Yeah. It's leaders delivered to the mine. Yeah. So they figured out this game and Gavin knew it the best. Yeah. He would go from Hay River to Yellowknife to the mine and unload, turn around and go to sleep at Portage 49 because if you slept at Portage 49, it threw off their timing because you're in between the mine and Lockhart yeah. and you slept a bunch. So they couldn't get a read on what your kilometers per hour were. <laughs> so like he understood how all of their tracking systems worked and he did things to throw it off so that they couldn't detect that he was just giving her shit the whole time. Yeah. And he was a Kiwi. He's not even from Canada. He's a legend. Gavin Smith. I've been keeping track of this in my head. Gavin has worked in Western Australia. He got me my job in Perth. So he's done road trains up the track in the outback. He ran the ice. He's been to Europe. He, his wife is a dual citizen with the UK, and he managed to get himself a work visa. So he worked for a trucking company in the UK, but they were based in the Netherlands, and he ran all over the continent. And then he came to Canada. So this guy has driven the ice. He's done the Outback Trucker thing. He's hauled logs in New Zealand. He's run in Europe. The guy is like the ultimate trucker of the universe. Oh, and he's just this crazy old guy with a huge long beard. And he's just this crazy ass Kiwi. And he's one of my best friends. And he's like a million years old. <laughs> <laughs> I wish everybody could meet him. Well, maybe you can get me an intro and we can meet him on the show. Yeah, you talk your ear off. He's fantastic. He's a lovely bloke. That'd be awesome. So... Running on the ice, not like the TV show, and that's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Forget the TV show. Just forget it. All right. Cool. We will. <laughs> that's the ice road conversation with my mate Gordon McGill from the hills of Appalachia. And he's got all his teeth, too, I can see, because he smiled at me. <laughs> Take care, mate. Shiny side up. And I hope I'll see you on the road one day. Yeah, I'm coming back, man. You know, I love Australia. Yeah. It's a great place, despite the managers. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to mention on the show while we're still recording. Yep. There was an Australian comedian and social political commentator named Clive James. Yep. Like many Australians, he ended up becoming more famous after he left home, yep. which is a problem for Canadians, too. Most Canadians don't become famous till they move to America or somewhere else. Yeah. So this Clive James fella, he has the best quote. One of the best things I've ever heard about Australia in my entire life. And don't take this the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. I know most of your audience is Aussies. This guy said, the problem with Australians is not that they're the descendants of convicts. The problem with Australians is that half of them are descended of prison officials. 
<laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Well done, mate. Great to chat. Take care of yourself. There's always a bed for you here in Sydney. Yeah, and likewise, there's one here in Ithaca, New York for you. Good on you. All right. That's it, mate. Yeah. It goes without saying that Adam Brand is a legend of the Australian country music scene and he's just released a new single and video. Jump onto YouTube and check out the film clip. In the meantime, to take us out of the show this week, here's Adam Brand with his brilliant new track, All or Nothing. the show for another week thanks for coming along for the ride on the road is proudly brought to you by nti australia's leading transport and logistics insurer visit the website at nti.com.au and queensland rail committed to improving safety through engineering innovation and education for more information go to www.qr.com.au be sure to join us again next week when mike says i don't understand andy says well, good luck with that. And our guest says... Talk about this every day, I suppose. Until then, play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. Bye-bye. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions.
from now Think I'll be saying these same words to my little girl somehow If it's a country song, make it a real one If you want true friends and learn to be one Wanna stand on stage and be the next big thing Well, you better go and put some hard yards in A heartbreak song's gotta hurt some Make the most of true love, you'll only get one Stand up tall if you're gonna stand for something It means nothing at all if it ain't all nothing It means nothing at all if it ain't all or nothing 